Okay, good morning to you. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. I'm glad to be here, and I hope you are too. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I hope that person believed it <laughs> when you said it. <laughs> oh, this is great. Okay. You know, my heart just goes out to all the mothers and fathers. Fathers, I'll talk to you next month. But, <laughs> to, you know, to the mothers especially, you know, there are so many demands that are made upon you. I remember one time looking into a, a magazine. I was in a doctor's office or someplace, and I grabbed a magazine, and it was near Mother's Day, and they, they had this picture, and the picture was of, a, of a, a poor woman, you know, and she's standing up there, and she has this, you know, brief, she's very smartly dressed. She has this nice executive suit, and she has this briefcase in one hand, and then her other hand, she has a baby, <laughs> you know, that's drooling all over her and everything else. And it says, you know, that's really a graphic picture of the kinds of expectations people have today of uh, mothers, uh, that they have to balance all these things between the home and the office. And it isn't easy, right, to juggle all these roles. It isn't easy to, to fulfill all these demands that are made upon them. And it doesn't help that sometimes in the midst of life, right, there are these crises that arise. And so these crises come and they, they just add more burdens and they add more, more work and they add more concern and more needs for prayer. You know, whether it's the welfare of, of our aging parents or, uh, you know, the illnesses and all these kinds of things that come in. You know, life just isn't all that perfect, isn't it? It just brings these things into our lives, and so we have to deal with them. And so, you know, I have a special place in my heart for mothers and, and uh, fathers, too, and, and so my heart just goes out to you. So this morning, I just want to speak to you on you know, just heart-to-heart basis, and, and that is, you know, how, how is it that um, a mother is to, to face the, the situations of life? How, how is a mother really supposed to get through these times that come into our lives and emerge triumphant? And I think that we find some very, very good uh, spiritual wisdom that comes from God through the character of Jacobed. Jochebed is the mother of Moses, is the mother of Moses. And so her story is found in Exodus chapter 2 and in other places of the Bible. So if you just open your Bibles and turn there, Exodus chapter 2. Now, in order to understand Exodus chapter 2, you actually have to read Exodus chapter 1, but we don't have time to go through all that, so I'll just summarize it for you. And the way the story begins is that it's a story of a curse. It's a story of a curse. And the, what happened was that the children of Israel went in to Egypt. And as you know, it was under Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph rose to be like the second in command next to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And because of his wise administration, He was the only country that had food and had provisions made. And he invited, he brought the people of Israel into Egypt and so that they could be saved from extinction, from starvation. And so as a result, the Egyptian people were very uh, uh, thankful to Joseph for all that he had done. The nation of Israel was very happy because of what he had done for them. And so about 400 years had passed. And guess what? The people of Israel, the Jewish people, began to multiply, and they became so numerous. It's estimated that 
they had risen to a population of about two million people at this time. And so what started out as a blessing then suddenly became a curse. And the curse happened because there arose, there arose in verse 7, there was a Pharaoh who came into power that wasn't familiar with Joseph. He didn't didn't understand. All he saw was the children of Israel being a threat to their country. And so if you looked at verse 7, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. And then verses 18 I'm verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. And so in this context, then, you kind of understood what was happening. And so what was a first started out as a blessing then became a curse. And so uh, the, the children of Israel then took on a very uh, uh, bad state of affairs. So what happened was the, the Pharaoh decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve this problem. And he had three ways of solving the problem. The first one was found in verses 11 through 14. And that was when he engaged the people in hard labor in verse Uh, uh, verse 14, uh, starting with verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's storage site in Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so they were dread uh, of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field. All their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. But the problem was this cure did not work. It did not work. Because what happened is that it just continued to multiply. It failed miserably. Then... David Farrell said, I got another plan. And this one was much more drastic. He called together all the Hebrew midwives, the ones that were there helping the, the, the uh, Hebrew mothers to give birth to their children. And he said, look, whenever there's a male child born, I want you to kill it. I want you to eliminate it. Oh, that's terrible. But guess what? The midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh even. And so they would not do this. They found every excuse possible not to be engaged in this uh, infant side. And so that plan failed. So in verse 22, we find that Pharaoh involved the whole nation in this. And in verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you are to keep alive. And so he was determined to stem the growth of the Hebrew people. He was, didn't want them to continue multiplying, and so he pulled out all the stops. So it went from a curse to a cure, but that's where we enter into this story because it was during this time, in the midst of this moral, social, and spiritual crisis, our attention is drawn to one family, the family of Moses. And notice here, that the women play an important role in this 
event, okay? Now, I want you to keep in mind how many women are involved in this story, all right? And you'll see the major roles that they play. So we have to ask ourselves this question, who and what helped them to navigate through this crisis? How did they deal with all the uncertainty and death, hatred and hostility that was around them? You see? And so when we think about the crises that people face, it's not a crisis of, oh, where should I eat today? <laughs> or what should I eat today? And or anything like that. That's not the issue. The issues were much more serious than that. It was a matter of life and death. And this is where we enter into the story. So I want you to see three things that, uh, that uh, occurred, three distinct characteristics about Moses' parents, his mother in particular, that should encourage all mothers specifically and parents in general. All right? Are you ready? Here we go. The first one is Jacobed had a steadfast faith in the Lord. She had a steadfast faith in the Lord. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, I suppose you say, well, this is just the maternal instincts of a mother. Any mother would want to protect her child, okay? But remember, in this whole atmosphere that was going on, she was going against the Pharaoh, <laughs> okay? And he was not someone to be played with. He was not someone to be, you know, just ignored. But yet she felt this, um, this, uh, this, uh, this feeling that if she went ahead and preserved the life of the child, God would deliver and make things, every, make things well. Their trust was in the Lord and not in themselves as they hid Moses for uh, three months. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, speaking of his parents, of Moses' parents, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You see, if you're not afraid of the king, who are you afraid of? <laughs> they were more and more drawn to God. And so they'd rather obey God rather than men. And so they had this deep faith in the Lord. What does that mean for us today? Well, today what is needed is a deep-seated faith in the Lord. Loyalty, fidelity, and trust in Him against the onslaught of what is immoral and unbiblical. And so, you know, we think of ourselves as being, mm, you know, we're very comfortable Christians. And, you know, life is pretty smooth as a whole. But my friend, there may come a time, and I think it's coming pretty quickly, even to the shores of Singapore, where believing parents will be tested. Believing parents of faith and courage need to stand up and be politically incorrect, and if need be, even unpopular. You see, we, we, if we go around the streets and we say, well, I'm a Christian, and, and, and so on and so forth, people say, oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, that's your choice. Uh, that's okay, you know. But now there begins to turn now a different kind of attitude. How can you believe that? How can you believe this? Oh, you're one of them, you know, this kind of thing. And so more and more you'll begin to see this happen. Believing parents need to stand up against the onslaught of paganism, relativism, secularism, and humanism that is spreading and saturating the world as we know it. Okay? The world is changing 
fast, incredibly fast. It's not a day that goes by that, you know, when I'm on the Internet or something like that on, the, on the, one of these news channels, the Yahoo News or Google News or any of those other ones. The world has changed overnight. The world has changed overnight. And it's just amazing what is being permitted. Unspeakable practices that only a few decades ago would be considered intolerable and unacceptable are now becoming more acceptable. Let me just name a few. For example, this has been a while, around a while, but perhaps it's, it hasn't quite hit your sensibilities. But abortion on demand, there's, a, there's an increase in that. People are saying, hey, I want my life, and, and I don't want anything to interfere with my life. And so abortion on demand or alternative lifestyles, and just to name a few, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And so, my friend, when you say to yourself, my life is okay, no problems, smooth as silk, please understand that as parents, as grandparents, you are facing some mighty challenges. And they're coming at a very fast rate. So every parent, every believing parent needs to have a steadfast faith in the Lord to navigate the morally and spiritually troubled waters of contemporary society. No longer can we just be happy with being in our churches, looking at each other and say, are you happy today? Yeah. Are you happy today? Yeah. All right. Let's all be happy. You know, that's not the way it's going to be. Because the world is right at our doorstep and it's coming into the church. And so they have to have a, they have, first of all, have a steadfast faith in the Lord. Now, the second thing you notice is Jacobet had a sound strategy. You know, my, 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 my heart goes out to Jacobet because, you know, she's a mother and she's sitting, she's not sitting on her hands. She's not saying, oh my, you know, oh my, you know, things are that bad, you know. But she is actually doing something about it. And so she begins to put her heart and mind to work. And she begins to work with God and says, what can I do to get through this? And so this is found for us in verses 3 to 10. Okay? And she had a plan. And her plan, was, while it was a human plan, had the blessing and providence of God behind it. There's just no way to look at what she did and what happened and not see the fingerprints of God all over it, okay? Well, let me give you an example, okay? Let, let's look at verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, meaning Moses, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it upon the reeds of the, by the bank of the Nile, all right? Now, I am no boat maker. I don't know how many boat makers we have in here. But would you know what to do, how to make a basket that's waterproof, you know? I might come up with a basket, but I'm not sure it's going to be waterproof. But that's what happened. She did the best she could. She put this basket there. She put the baby in it. She put the basket and the baby in the water, in the, in the river, okay? And so it, it, there had to be the working of God behind this. What are the chances of the basket holding Moses as he floated in the Nile? What were the chances that Pharaoh's daughter would find him? Look at verses 4 to 6. And it says, in, in uh, uh, verse 4, His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Verse 5, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, and her maidens walked alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and set her maid, and she sent her maid, and she brought it to her. 
verse 6, it says, When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, it wasn't like the, the daughter of Pharaoh was, you know, just naive or, or she was tricked or anything like that. She knew what she was getting into. Here was a Hebrew child. You know, her father had given this order that they all be killed. And yet she took pity upon this child. What are the chances of that? What are the chances of that? It's the providence of God. It's the hand of God. It's the hand of God. And then, what, what, what are the chances that Pharaoh's daughter would consent to letting Moses' uh, own mother uh, come and nurse him and take care of him? Look at verses 7 and 9. Then his sister, this is Miriam, the, mother, the sister of Moses, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women so that she may nurse the child for you? Look at Pharaoh's daughter's response. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And then in verse 9, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, meaning to Moses' mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, that, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. What are the chances that Pharaoh's daughter would even consent to such a scheme? And 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 and, and besides that, would even pay for that? <laughs> I'll even pay you to do this. You know, what are the chances? It's the providence of God. She had a strategy. Would it work? She had no idea, but she trusted God, and God responded marvelously in His providence. And then in verse 10, at the right time, Pharaoh's daughter would adopt Moses as her own son. Look at verse 10. And it says, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. You see, so she had a strategy. She had a plan in mind. She took some action. But it was the hand of God upon these events that really made it work. But also, please remember that her plan not only had the blessing of God, but her plan made it possible for Moses to be shaped and sharpened in a special way, in a very special way. Now, for this, we have to go to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have this said about um, Moses, okay? In verse, starting with verse 24, and says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And so what happens is when you, when you look at that, that he was cared for by his, uh, his own mother, he never forgot who he was. He never forgot who he was. And I'm sure that as she nurtured him and as she, as she cared for him, that she would remind him that he was Jewish. And so he had come from this line that worshipped the God of the Bible. And so he never forgot to the point that even when he grew up, he says, yeah, I'm a son of a pharaoh. Yes, I'm in the royal household, but I am also Hebrew. And he sided with them. He was also shaped this way. 
He was a member of the royal household, and he had all the perks and privileges of the son of Pharaoh. If you turn to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 21 to 22, we read these precious words. Acts chapter 7, verse 21. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. And so he grew marvelously. He had all of these perks that would come. He chose to suffer with the brethren at the appropriate time. But her plan included his development as a Jewish person who was educated in all the ways of the Egyptian people. Today, mothers and fathers need to have a plan of action to help their child become a child of God. And this is important for us because sometimes parents said, well, I'll leave it to the church. I'll just leave it to somebody else. Okay, I'll leave it to the the Christian aunt or uncle or I will do this or I will do that. That's a plan. But notice here, this was very hands-on. So mothers and fathers need to have a plan of action to help their child become a child of God. Then they need to help that child know what it is to be a child of God by living, teaching, and instilling the truths of God into their life. Okay? The greatest teachers of the faith is not your pastor. It is not the, 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 the youth pastor. It is not the Sunday school teacher. You know who it is? It's you as a parent. Because as much as as great as the Sunday school teachers may be, as great as the youth pastors may be, as great as your pastor may be, he has limits. They have limits. We only have one Sunday, maybe one day, maybe two days out of the week, maybe three days if we're lucky. You have all seven days with your child. And you must live before your children, teaching them and instilling the truths of God into their life. In the end, the hope is that child will know God, know God, love God, and serve God and others. And so the real plan, that, and the question I'm asking you this morning, what is your plan? What is your role as a parent? What is the role of the church in your plan? In your plan. I was talking to one father in, in, in the United States one time, and he had great kids. I, I you know, just wonderful children. And, and who walked, seemed to walk with the Lord and were genuine and, you know, got, seemed to get through those teenage years, you know, very well. Not without troubles, but they got through very well. And so, you know, wanting to learn, I went to this father and I said, you know, uh, to this, uh, this couple, uh, and I said, you know, what, what's your secret? What, what, what's your formula? What, what did you do, you know, to have such great believing kids, you know? And so, you know, rather humbly and, you know, rather embarrassed and all this kind of stuff. They said, well, you know, our, our plan was pretty simple. Um, what we did was all through their lives, we tried to expose them to written materials over a wide range of topics, but always somehow tied back to the Bible, God's view of the world, so to speak. And then they said they exposed them to, to mature godly people in their community. I said, really? Like who? He says, well, we have friends who are, you know, Christian doctors, Christian lawyers, Christian engineers. And so it was not just church people, you know, but it was real people, (laughs) people who were out in the community, people out in society that were living the faith 
and living it vibrantly. And so they said, my kids got a big, you know, they just, they were inspired by these people. You know, how, how could this lawyer, how could this doctor, how can this engineer, how can this nurse, how can this, how can this cook, how can this, this mechanic, this car mechanic be living his faith out for the Lord? And he says, so my kids came away with a feeling that God was really at work in the lives of people, not just in the church, not just for 40 minutes on Sunday morning, you know, but this God of ours was actually in the lives of people. And he says, as a result, as a result, my kids have this worldview and they have this, this relationship with God that they see is real and relevant. I said, wow, fantastic, fantastic, you know. And so in the same way, what is your plan? Who are you exposing your children to? Who are you allowing yourself to be exposed to? If a Christian parent came to you and said, you know, I'd like my kids to meet you. Come on over for dinner. I'd like them to hear your testimony. I'd like to hear, like to, for them to hear how God is involved in your life. Would you say yes? Or would you say, well, what are you eating? You know, or, <laughs> you know, something like that. You know, what a privilege. What a privilege that would be, right? To go and, and sit down with these young people and expose yourself to them. That'd be great. Every parent needs to have a sound strategy for raising children uh, to become children of God. Now, the third one is Jacobit had a sense of destiny, a sense of destiny. Now, this one here, as I, as I began thinking about it, I, I, I said to myself, well, would this be a little too much? Would this be a little too dramatic? Turn to Acts chapter 7. Turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 20, starting with verse 20. Okay? And... Uh, what we find here is that um, to Moses' parents, Acts chapter 2, verse 2 tells us when she conceived and bore a son, she saw that he was beautiful, okay? And, and that could have a lot of different ways of meanings. It, it somehow, some way, it indicated to her, this is a special child. Now, every baby is special, you know? God doesn't make ugly babies, all right? He, doesn't, he just makes ugly grown-ups, but he doesn't make ugly babies, okay? Uh, every baby I've seen is beautiful, okay? But what happens here is that somehow, someway, to, this, to, these, to Moses' parents, man, this is really a precious gift from Lord. He is special. But notice in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, the words that are in there, it says, and he was lovely in the sight of God. It didn't say beautiful. It said lovely. In the sight of God. And this indicates again, he was special in the sight of God. And then look what happens when it goes beyond that in verse 21. And it goes on to verse 21 and then goes to verse 22. And it says, Moses was educated in all the learning of Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds, it says. Okay. He matured into this person. Okay. By accident. No, God had this planned all the way through. And then in verse, drop down to verse 36 and 38, 36 and 38. And it says, this man, meaning Moses, led them, meaning the nation of Israel, out 
of the land of Egypt, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, it says. And then in verse 38, this is the one, this Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Incredible, isn't it? <laughs> they did not know. The parents did not know how the child was going to come out. All they knew was this child was special. Special to them. And later we learned he was special to God. He was special to God. Today, every parent needs to sense the hand of God of the Lord in the life of their child. Please do not underestimate the potential and promise of your child okay do not please do not do that as has been demonstrated over and over again the full potential promise of our children cannot be solely measured by our children's scores on the psle o and a level examinations or degrees from universities okay if we did that only then what happened to Stephen joe was he a freak of nature? What happened to Bill Gates? Was he a freak of nature? Both of them did not finish university, as far as I know. That's the legend, anyway. They didn't finish university. And yet, look at them. You see, look at them. Every child has the ability to touch someone for God, to stir and soften our hearts, to inspire and invigorate our lives. God has a plan and purpose for every child. Our job as, as parents is to love them and lead them to Christ and then help them grow in Christ so they can fulfill those plans that God has for them. I don't know how many times I've heard this story repeated, but it's happened more than once for sure. And it's really a sad story. I've talked with young people. I've talked with grown adults. And they say, do you have any regrets in your life? Yes, I have. What would be in a regret? Well, I remember growing up, and my mother, my father, would say, you will never amount to anything. You are no good. You are not smart. You are not this. You are not that. And they said, that crushed me as a child because I did not meet their expectations. And that has affected me to this day. And I urge you, parents, please, in spite of the PSLEs, in spite of the O's and the A exam results, please keep that sense of and vision of destiny for your children, that God has a plan and a purpose for them. Help them realize that plan and purpose and help them to achieve it and grow in it and glorify God through it. Please, please, don't write your children off too early. Do not write your children off too early. Every parent needs to have a God-centered sense of destiny for each of their children. Now, words of encouragement for moms, please. Words of encouragement. Mother, you have one of the hardest jobs on the entire earth, okay? You really do. The other one who has a hard job are fathers, all right? <laughs> but mothers, you have a very hard job. 
And I want you to go away taking heart. Take heart. Be encouraged in your heart. And then also deepen and widen your faith in the Lord. Draw close to him and he will draw close to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so put your faith and trust in Christ and know that he is with you. He is for you. He's on your side, no matter how difficult the issues may get. And then together with your husband, together think and draw up plans to help your child become a child of God. This is important. But do it with this in mind, with lots of room for twists and turns, with twists and turns. You know, I know that as as Singaporeans, we are very focused. Once we draw up a plan, it is do or die. We will get it done over somebody's dead body if necessary. (laughs) You know, we are that determined. But you know, when you work with God, God has this way of throwing in something that causes us to go back and trust him. So draw up your plans. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. Lord willing, we will try this and we will try that. We will have family devotions. We'll read to our children every night before they go to bed. We will do this. We will expose them to these people. So on and so forth. Do everything possible to bring them to faith in Christ and to grow in Christ. And then hold tightly to visions of God using your child for his glory and for his purposes. You know, sometimes we overlook the things that God does through our children. I look back on my own children, and every one of them is different. There's seven of them, and there's seven different personalities. You throw my wife in, there's eight personalities I have to deal with. And they're all women. Throw that in your pocket, you know. And so what happens is that I sometimes I, I underestimate the influence and the, the impact that my children have on me. Like sometimes they'll, they'll corner me and sometimes they'll ask me really difficult questions. But it's good for me to know those questions because I need to strengthen my mind and my heart and my faith. And sometimes these children will come and they'll point out weaknesses in my character and in my life. I need that. I need that. Because sometimes I need to be awakened to the fact that I'm not the perfect father and I'm not the perfect human being that sometimes I am tempted to believe. You see? Those are things that our children can do for us. And they're a gift from God to do that very thing. Yes, sometimes they drive us nuts, okay? I'll, I don't think, can I use that word from the pulpit? I guess so. They drive us nuts, okay? And they drive us to the edge of despair sometimes. But you know, God is even in that. God is even in that. So, as we conclude this thing, faithful moms have a steadfast faith and a sound strategy and a sense of destiny. The child you lead to Christ may be your own. The child you raise may be the one that God uses to bless others and even the world. Can you believe that? Will you believe that? If you do, you can get through those crises. You can get through those rough times. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
I'm drawn to pray for the dear mothers and mothers-to-be in the audience today. Lord, they bear a heavy burden. Their task is enormous. But thank you, Lord, that you have said you will never forsake us or leave us. And Father, we cling to that promise. We cling to the promise, Lord, that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you for it. And so, Lord, I pray for every mother in this room, Lord, that you would bless them beyond their own imaginations. And that, Father, you would have them leave here from this place more encouraged to have their faith in you restored and deepened. And so that, Father, they can face another day. Father, I pray for the children in this room, knowing, Father, that we as children sometimes are unable or perhaps not wanting, Lord, to recognize the love and the care that our parents give to us and how much they love us and want us, Father, to to be a part of our lives and to help us to be all that we can be. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will heal relationships. I pray, Lord, that you will bind up and strengthen relationships between parents and children. And that, Father, together we will fulfill your plans and your purposes for your glory. So, Father, we ask all of this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.